0: The NCAA continues to keep self-inflicted crisis management firms filled with material, and we bid farewell to the Pac-12 with one last preview. This is the College Game Day podcast for Thursday, August 10th. Reese Davis and Pete Thamel here. And if you just happen to be one of the fortunate souls who scored tickets to the Bruce Springsteen concert in Chicago at Wrigley Field last night, and you thought, man, that looks like Pete Thamel and Adrian Wojnarowski. I-, I wonder where the boss is going as a free agent or who the <laughs> East Street Band, if that's still a thing, is going to realign with in the new conference. No, that couldn't have been them, but it was. Peter, how'd you hold up? How'd it go?
1: It was great. It was great. Yeah, Woj well, was breaking stories about where like the E Street Van violinist was going on a two way to Quad Cities after <laughs> the uh, after the
0: after
1: after the deal. And there's no question who would break Bruce's free agency story. It wouldn't have been me. Um, yeah, only one big story broke, uh, the Cal Stanford, uh, sort of on pause with the ACC during, uh, during that. And fortunate, uh, I thank the ACC presidents for the timing because it, it broke during, it wasn't like during Thunder Road, like, you know, ripping encore. It was sort of in a slow song set. So we, uh, we retreated to the concourse, but we got back, uh, with a few, uh, few liquid refreshments, uh, with the job done. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Bruce, talk about a classic collision of like, two iconic things in America, right? Bruce Springsteen, the quintessential American touring act at Wrigley Field, the quintessential American venue. So it was really cool. I mean, it was just really uh, a, a fun
0: night. I just don't know how much you really soaked up the experience, though, because I have, you know, I you sent me a voicemail in your altered state last night, and you were singing uh, dancing in the dark but the words you had all jacked up you said something like stay in the league with the pack now and they'll be carving you up all right <laughs> say you need realignment hey baby the polo team's ready to fly i just need a payout i'm sick of sitting around here trying to cash apple's check i need a love reaction come on patiti and your mark just give me one look that's pretty good, Reese. Do You like yeah. that? That's pretty good. I don't know I what it's what you it's what you were saying. Is that how you sang along to Dancing in the Dark? You know that's where that's Courtney,
1: exactly it.
0: You know that's yeah. where Courtney Cox uh, famously made her big time debut in the Dancing in the Dark music video. I do.
1: Yeah, I decided uh, since this is the Game Day podcast. When Rutgers hosts game day this year, when the uh, Scarlet Knights storm out of the gate hot, and, uh, we, and we go to the uh, banks of the Raritan, I think we'd want little Stephen to be the picker, not Bruce. Okay, she's just so Jersey, right? Okay. Like, if you needed like a like a, a Jersey, obviously James Gandolfini isn't with us anymore. He would have been pick one. He would have been the, the no brainer. Um, certainly, would want Bruce to do it, but little Stephen probably had a little uh, a little more zest to it. So. Um, yeah, that was my that was my that was my not so tangential uh, college football thought uh, while watching the uh, the mighty E Street Band last night.
0: That that would be win 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 in any case. Uh, either of them guest pickers and going to Rutgers for game day because we're off to a great start. Because there was quite the scathing article about how successful the addition of Rutgers to the Big Ten has been from a financial standpoint, and that certainly can be debated for for quite some time we're going to preview the pac 12 but you know real quick I just want to say this about the Stanford and Cal idea of going to the ACC it's ludicrous it doesn't help anybody I don't know why you would do it and I also uh, gave a big eye roll toward Notre Dame athletic director jack swarbrick who somehow was saying that perhaps out of the goodness of the heart and some type of uh it looks bad to leave academic institutions like that on the side of the road like stanford cal so somebody should take them in give me a break man i mean i'm paraphrasing this is a business stop it already all this academic high-mindedness that we don't want to you know be associated with these guys on the freaking football field because of, you know, I don't like your I don't like your class syllabus is preposterous. Just stop it. You're not an AAU institution, no, stop Reese. It. It's so <laughs> stupid. It's unimaginable. I mean, and this whole idea of the president saying it too, well, we are aligned with him academically. Shut up. Can you stop him on third down? Stop it already. You're moving because of the money. So stop making it, stop pretending that it's something it's not. It's a business. It's a lucrative business. It's a sport that we love. And it needs it needs to settle down. And um, some of the chaos needs to be alleviated. Uh, Chip Kelly probably had as good an idea as I heard since we're previewing the Pac-12. Why not just make everybody an independent? Let them negotiate their own deals. And there would be some there would be some things that would be problematic about that. And the highest end football teams play for a championship there and the travel in football is not as big a deal as it is in other sports and let the other sports realign uh or align more with more geographical soundness that makes more sense than anything else i don't know how long it's going to take us to get there but that's going to happen because football is going to break away and do its own thing and it's not going to be about aau institutions or what you know what stanford uh you know has in mind because of their academic prowess, uh, somebody uh, somebody mentioned that with their endowment, they should just buy the Big Ten if they want to be in. I think take the, if it's so <laughs> if it's so stinking important, just go buy it. You know, they could a forty billion dollar endowment <laughs> or something. I, I've I've got no patience for people trying to make this about academics because it's not. It's about money and football and entertainment, sweetheart. Football's the vehicle. So,
1: good Coach Corso uh, drop there. (laughs) That's always appreciated. Happy birthday to Coach, by the way. Yeah, man, 88. God God bless him. He's he's an icon. Uh, No sporting entity in the world embraces obvious bad results necessary for change like college athletics. (laughs) So, I mean that in this way. We all know in the 12-team playoff that conference championship games are going to be – An impediment. They're not going to work. They're going to, they're going to suck the life out of leagues. They're going to cause teams to like think about tanking, not playing people. Like they are just going to be generally clunky and they're going to be obstacles, controversial. Everybody knows it. Like it's going (laughs) to, you're going to lose one and then you would have got in and now you don't, blah, blah, blah. So that is like the most searingly neon obvious thing that's going to happen to the sport in this next playoff iteration. All right. But we are going to have to wait to live it out. To, like, let's let's embrace the suck and then change, even though we can all see the suck happening. So it's the same thing with these, like, geographically disparate leagues. Like, they are going to, you know, it is not going to go well in some ways. Michigan's going to go play UCLA and then come back home and lose to Minnesota, and everyone's going to melt down and say they were tired. And, uh, you know, God, God, the, you know, the basketball is actually where this is going to resonate the most. Oh, for sure. Because if you're yeah. every other weekend, um, I remember uh, – uh, Brian Dutcher in the Louisville regional. I, I was covering it uh, the Sweet 16 for us this year. It, he was like, it, he's a, if he's very Minnesota, right? He's like earnestly blunt uh, and not in a bad way. And he was just like, yeah, he's like, we flew to Orlando last week. And I, I walked up the, down the plane, down the aisle and said to my ID, I don't know how the hell, uh, you know, USC and you said, they're going to do this. This is awful. I'm exhausted and we haven't got there yet. <laughs> yeah. And I'm paraphrasing, but it was, it was pretty much that blunt. And If you're those West Coast schools, and again, I hope there's some regionality to it. There was supposed to be some non-revenue regionality um, to like, hey, everybody goes to Chicago this weekend and plays field hockey or whatever. And then some of that kind of got taken off the table a little bit when Kevin Warren left. um, And people are scrambling around about that. But like these leagues, are they going to work? Yes. Are the games going to be fine? Yes. But are they going to be clunky? And is there inevitably going to be issues? Yes. We see them. Teddy Thamel could like pull up a map and see that they, like they the geography is not going to work. But college athletics, you need to endure the pain before common sense comes in. So we're in an era right now where because of money, because of decisions made at conference offices, because of the forces of television and money that we are going, there are going to be some very obvious pain points and we're just going to endure them. That's leader. Leadership is not in any position to, to, to change that. And just to, to piggyback your Stanford Cal thought, Reese, I actually thought SMU was more ridiculous. If only because, and look, SMU is a fine school, mm-hmm. fine, great institution in a great area. It's one of the cool, cool neighborhoods in the whole country. Um, academically solid, but they, you know, the only relevant thing they've done in the last thirty years in football is produced a thirty for thirty. Right? <laughs> like that's really like the only way they've transcended. And so uh that's just they are who they are right they're a program they're a program that got like cement shooed on NCAA violations which they earned and they've struggled to come back and that they have it's been great it's been a great story so the ACC's only real interest in them it wasn't the fine academics or the 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 solid athletic department but it was so they could come for free to pay other people which like that would only happen in like the mob right like, like it just didn't make any sense like could like 15 sober college presidents sit around and be like, well, that's a great idea. I mean, we don't really want them and we'd have to go play them and they don't really fit in our footprint, but they like, you know, it's like they, they bring this silo of gold to us that they're going to, that they're going to spit down. So, and again, that's like, if anybody else had presented that, it's not picking on SMU. I want to be clear about that. It's a, it's a fine place. I've always enjoyed. I just was at a satellite camp there uh, a couple months ago. It's, it's it's good. It's a good spot, but it just, doesn't make any sense for the reasons presented. They weren't talking about SMU because of SMU's candidacy. Mm -hmm. That just doesn't seem like, you know, you read these leadership books and hear these CEOs talk about, like, building a foundation and a culture. That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense.
0: No. The football's going to work, though, Pete. It's the other sports. I I don't have... Oh, any, yeah. I don't have any issue with, you know, Michigan yeah. going to play UCLA or SC, you know, sure. coming, uh, you know, coming to play Penn State or whatever. I mean, all that, that's going to work because it's professional sports. It's like, it's like an NFL schedule. Now you'll have to take, you'll have to take care in how you uh, set up those schedules, which they do in the NFL, you know, or at least attempt to for the most part. And so that's all going to work. It's just the other stuff and, you know, I think the ACC's idea that, you know, they need to appear to be doing something, I guess. And, you know, I, I just don't know at this stage of where Stanford and Cal are and what they can be and what their commitment to it is, just how valuable they are. It, that you would, I don't know if reaching into that market delivers what you th- think it might. It certainly doesn't in terms of attendance. If you look at if their stadiums on any given Saturday, for the most part, you know, not particularly full, but they will play football, and hopefully they'll do well. That'll be nice. My only, my only regret after after seeing uh, the demise of the Pac-12 and only four teams left, I was like, okay, how can two of the remaining four play in the final Pac-12 game ever? Well, there's the obvious way that say, I think it's probably more likely to say Oregon State and Washington State, though that's highly unlikely, uh, would play in the Pac-12 championship game. That would be one way. But there's another way that I prefer, and it's not going to happen, but I would really like to see Stanford and Cal say, you know what, even though Reese Davis just said these mean things about us, that we're not terribly attractive as a football entity in terms of bringing all of that in, he still wants to see us succeed and he wants to see us go against the grain and he wants us to move our game, big rivalry game. It's uh, on the penultimate week of the regular season prior to championship week. I want to see them move it to the Saturday of championship week because the Pac-12 championship game, I believe, is once again on Friday night. So I'd like to see Stanford and Cal, you know, move the big rivalry game for the Stanford Axe and play – on Saturday and be the final Pac-12 game and do it like Rice and Houston did in 95 when they moved their kickoff to make sure that they played later than Texas and Texas A&M at the demise of the old Southwest Conference. They did the trophy presentation for the Bayou Bucket. They did this big countdown with the bands, and then a couple of season ticket holders. I guess they maybe they want a raffle. Who knows? You could raise some money. You could raise some money for your for your endowments, and have a couple of season ticket holders turn out the lights and and make it go dark. Literally, Pac-12 after dark. That's what they won't do. It. I wish they would. What a scene that would be if they moved Stanford Cal. Final Pac-12 game ever to the day after the championship game because as we make predictions here about the Pac-12, I can promise you that Stanford and Cal won't be in uh, in the Pac-12 championship game. Is that a fair? Is that a fair prediction?
1: It's a fair prediction. So do you want to know my uh, my Pac-12 final season bucket list item, Reese? Yes, I do. Um, and again i have as much say as i often remind people of where game day goes is like somebody like writing suggestions on uh you know on a, on, on right so but in my heart wouldn't it be great to roll into corvallis oregon for the top 15 beavers and give them give them a send off uh Dan Wetzel wrote a great column this week about how Oregon State should be America's team you know what i mean yeah, like the, yeah. the, the the underdog the underdog in like an era where the underdogs getting cut out basically and um i've been bullish on Oregon State as as you know our, our listeners uh, our listeners here know excited to see what uh See what big DJ can do, but really, just think they brought back a great roster. They have uh, they have arguably the best running back in the Pac-12, and Damian Martinez. They've got a really experienced O line. Uh, they're they're really well coached, and they will be a factor in the Pac-12 race. Uh, in, in, in again, we've said this a little bit, but in it's the Pac-12 preview, so I'm going to repeat it. In my 20 years, this is the best the Pac-12 has been one to six. Like, I don't know 1 to 12. That's always hard to say 1 to 12, but like, this is the best caliber of high-end, the best crop of high-end Pac-12 teams in my years covering national college football. And so I am really excited about the on-the-field stuff. I am certainly not naive or unaware of the other stuff, but what, what makes that good? Well, Oregon State, you know, which is, uh, a great try hard program is having a moment right now. And so it would be fun to go there and celebrate that to any, any fan base that embraces the chainsaw. As uh, as as a sideline mechanism um, is is a fan base that, that should be, but yeah, it's a they they open up full Research Stadium this year after a huge uh, a huge renovation. You know they're investing hundreds of millions, and all of a sudden they're going to go from probably what they thought was making thirty million a year in TV revenue to somewhere you know around seven to ten. And so it's just a it's just a tough blow for an institution. People are going to lose their jobs. I, I, I talked to Kirk Schultz the. Uh, Washington State president the other day, and just you know, he was. We were talking about money, and he was like, "I just want to be clear. This isn't a budget conversation. This is a people conversation." I'm paraphrasing him, but he was like, "This, you know, there's going to be layoffs. Our budget's going to be forty percent less. We're going to lose coaches. It's going to be hard." And um, again, not not that one college game day would make all the other stuff go away, but I do think a celebration of this Oregon State team, if it takes care of its end of the deal on the field, would be fitting.
0: you got us off to a start i was going to start our previews with the two-time reigning pac-12 champion utah utes but since we're at oregon state and because of the dynamics surrounding the conference let's go ahead and you started there with the good they're coming off a 10-win season uh, they suffered at quarterback play a year ago um but now they hope they've solved that with the transfer of Uyanga Lule. there. They did lose their leading tackler to LSU and Omar Spates. That's not good. They, You mentioned how well they were coached. They were better in the fourth quarter in terms of outscoring their opponents. Um, they, they were the best among the top five teams in the Pac-12, among the ones that finished in the top five in the standings. I think they've got a chance, Pete to to be playing in that championship game at the end. Absolutely. Now, you look at their schedule, they should start they are going to start 3 and 0. Tricky trip to Washington State just simply because it's hard to win there. A lot of good teams have gone there and and stumbled. But then on the the final Friday night of September, they have Utah in Corvallis. And I think you know, you look at the rest of it. They do have Oregon at the end. Obviously, they've got Washington and Corvallis, and they don't play SC. That Utah game early is going to be huge for them. And I think they're going to be okay on defense, even without Spates. They did pick up a few guys in the, in the transfer portal, particularly on the offensive line. Got a linebacker, too, uh, from, from Wyoming, who's a, who's a decent pass rusher. It all, again, we've talked about how we don't like to be overly simplistic in the preview. I won't say it all comes down to uyangalele but a lot of it does. Uh, assuming he wins the job and if he can elevate his play, eliminate some of the mistakes. You know, some of the things that, that, you know, people act like he didn't get anything done. And he certainly had some bad moments and some moments where he appeared uncertain. But he completed sixty percent of his passes, threw for nearly fifty-seven hundred yards, thirty-six touchdowns. Didn't you know? Had too many interceptions. There's no doubt about that. But he's got ability, and it probably is a just in terms of pure talent, a pretty good upgrade for Oregon State. So the win total for Oregon State is eight and a half. They won ten last year with suspect quarterback play. I am. Mentioned the strengths before. I think they'll overcome the loss of Spates defensively. Um I'm hammering the over there, man. I'm I'm hammering it over eight and a half. Pete. Yeah, I agree. No, uh
1: no SC on the schedule is huge. They they, they lost the the tight end to the draft. Ah, what was his name? The he got injured last year. Reese uh, Musgrave did the draft. I I did the draft. Yes, Luke Musgrave. Thank yeah. you.
0: and he's been great in camp too just as an aside yeah yeah
1: Yeah. okay no and he's really good scouts really liked him but he didn't play the back half of the season Mm -hmm. he got hurt and uh and, and pulled out i'm a little worried about receiver i i wish they had a little bit more after anthony gold that was proven um i will say this uh little camp nugget to drop little little seed to plant maybe for later down the road uh you know, will DJ Uyunglele win the job and, and roll out there against against San Jose State? Yes, I, I would imagine that. Um, Camp buzz from the spring that is carried over now to the fall is that Aiden Childs, the freshman quarterback they have uh, from Southern California, is the real deal. And I don't. I'm not saying he's going to be the starting quarterback there this year, but. He's a guy who they are going to build around in the long term, and they have a ton of excitement about him. And that is a staff that knows quarterbacks and can develop uh, quarterbacks. So that said, I will say a I will say a hail mary for continuity's sake that the recent developments and realignment don't scare him off. Um, you know, and you can say that about any of their talented players. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Washington State. Same thing with Cal. God, can you leave Stanford? But kids could leave Stanford. So, but yes, that was just, that that was a a name that came up to me in recent weeks as somebody to like have
0: two eyes on, not one. Look forward to him. And they also have the guy, Ben Golbranson, who played for them yeah. quite a bit last year too. So, All he did was win games. Right. They they have options if, um, yes. you know, if DJ doesn't win the job outright or if things don't go well. So we're taking the over at eight and a half for Oregon State. So from there, you know, you're tempted to go to SC because they suck all the oxygen out of the room for sure, because, and rightfully so, because they're USC, the story, history, Heisman Trophy winner, all of that. But I think in order to be fair here, we should go next where I'd really intended to start the previews with a team that's won the league, won the conference Absolutely. the last two years with Utah. Utah comes back with seven guys coming back on offense. Just how healthy Cam Rising is and how soon is a significant question. Brent Keithy, one one of their great tight ends, who was hurt late in the season, is back. We got the big kid from Australia, Thomas Yasmin, at wide. I mean, at a tight end, they use their tight ends as well as anybody. Jaquendon Jackson, former quarterback, mm. another Texas transfer, looked great at running back. And they've got nine guys back on a hard-hitting defense and a couple of guys in the portal, including cornerback from Ole Miss, Miles Battle, who maybe you know can uh, can help them in the secondary uh, a little bit with some of the losses that they had to the draft and some of the weaknesses they had a year ago. That's the good about Utah. What are you worried about with Utah? I'm
1: well, worried you didn't mention Money Parks at wide receiver. All right. I mean – <laughs> I'm just worried you saw the name Money Parks, you saw how productive he was and you decided willingly not to bring him up. Um so that just it's it's a bit of a character indictment. Um
0: and also so, because his name's Money Parks.
1: Yes, that is that is absolutely uh the real reason that I that that I brought that up. Um so I I mean I think everything sort of starts with Rising's health, right? Mm-hmm. Like they've got a they've got a, a lot comes down to that first game because Utah has been, obviously, they've won they've won the Pac-12. Can they push through the threshold and now be in the thicket of that college football playoff conversation again? Well, the schedule, I guess, would be my second biggest worry. Florida at home, I don't think Florida's going to be that good. You don't think Florida's going to be that good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still Florida, right? It's not West Florida to open. Mm-hmm. Um, so... That game, you know, I think looms really, really large for, for, for them. If they want, to, if, if Utah wants to say we are a top five program in the thick of playoff contention, they have to beat Florida and then they have to go to Baylor, which is sort of a, 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 a program built the same way they're built, a smash mouth program, a toughness program. So those are, you know, there aren't many teams that have two games to open the season of that caliber. Um, when you look at just a, you know, a perennial SEC contender that might not be one right now, but it's still filled with, you know, talented athletes. And then uh, Baylor, it's, you know, a recent Big 12 champion who's really solid. So um, I think, you know, how they handle that start and manage that start and manage rising through that start, um, you know, depending on his health, can he, uh, can he move the ball? Um, And then I do think there's, uh, you know, there's, Some experience questions on defense, I think is fair, Mm -hmm. right, Reese? You know what I mean? There's, there's, the about it's hard to doubt. Yeah, yes, it's it's hard to doubt the Utah defense after legitimately twenty years of Utah producing good defenses (laughs) with Kyle Whittingham as the coach, and now Morgan Scally's proven a really, really strong defensive coordinator there. So, but there are some, there are some questions, questions in the secondary, questions at safety that I just want to see before you know, see early that you know that, that give me a little bit of pause.
0: Win total for the Utes is eight and a half. And in addition to the games you mentioned right off the top, before September comes to a close, they also play UCLA and Oregon state. Probably would be nice in terms of, you know, making sure rising is 100% coming off of that injury. If maybe some of those were moved a little later in the schedule, but they still also have trips to USC and trips to Washington. The, Win total is eight and a half, and that hook is what's going to push me to the under. I'm going to take under eight and a half by eight. I think they'll be sitting on an eight at the end of the regular season.
1: Can we put in a call to Mother Nature that that September 29th, destined to be on FS1 late-night game, that you and I are probably not going to be able to watch all of because we're going to have to wake up to, go to, to to do game day the next day. Can we just assure there's foul weather of some kind? Like I want fog, I want monsoon, <laughs> I want something. It's I don't want it to be 68 and like, you know, a little fall crisp in the air. All right? Like is it is that too much to ask the gods? They've had a bad run in Corvallis. I want to slog that night. Is that is that too much to ask? No, sorry, I don't think so. Yeah, I just think that's that's just you know, it, it, Oregon State hasn't had a good hand. I want I want a good setting. Remember when Reggie Bush, I think it was Oregon State when the USC Reggie Bush teams went up there. I don't think they lost, but they got pushed and challenged, and it was just like it was like Halloween out of like a movie. Um, there the was Mark like so Sanchez
0: team lost up there. That's right. Uh, that is right. Uh, a weeknight yes. game. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so I would, I would, I would like some, uh, I would like some calls into to Mother Nature. So I'm sure there's some people behind the scenes at game day that you know find the guest pickers that probably have a few levers they can pull there. So I'm going to take the over. I don't think they'll lose four games. I think they will lose three. Well, you
0: doubt Utah at your own peril, and certainly it was a perilous thing to take under. And it, look, if if they go under eight and a half, it'll just be by the half. And my, I can't. I can't see any situation or circumstance where they lose, you know, more than four games. And I assume that, you know, that's, that's probably of these as I was looking to see which way I was going to go. That's probably the one that I was most uncertain of that. I think it's largely just due to the schedule that we mentioned. And there's also, we'll, we'll get to this team in a bit, but they also right after the trip to Washington, they go to Arizona and, Arizona, I think, is going to be one of those teams this year that clips uh, a team or two, and they kind of catch Utah at a good spot there. There are a lot of schedule lineup things to give you pause about Utah, but nobody doubts their ability, their talent, their toughness, all of those things. They're they're year in and year out the most physical team in the Pac-12, and I assume that they will be, again. The team that that Utah beat in the championship game last year, who sort of took the nation by storm with the transfer portal and Caleb Williams winning the Heisman, is USC. Lincoln Riley back for his second year. Williams was brilliant trying to join Archie Griffin as the only two men in college football history to win – Two Heisman trophies, hard to bet against him right now. They've got explosive receivers, Mario Williams, Taj Washington, Brendan Rice back. They added Dorian Singer from Arizona, who had over 1,100 yards receiving last year. They got a transfer from South Carolina, Marshawn Lloyd, to add to the running back room. They added Bear Alexander, the big defensive lineman from Georgia, because the defense was um, – was tragic last year in tackling. They got uh, Mason Cobb from Oklahoma State who had a bunch of tackles for loss and, and a long, long, long list of other transfers to try to fill in a lot of spots, mostly on defense. And they have a really favorable start to the schedule, unlike Utah. I mean, their first two road games... Late September are at Arizona State and at Colorado should be over, you know, be able to overmatch those teams. Come home to play Arizona, who I've I've said is tricky, but probably trickier in Tucson than than in the Coliseum. They get Utah at their place. They get Washington at their place. They do have to go to Oregon late in November. So in that regard, they do play all of the uh, stout teams, the favorite teams in the Pac-12, save Oregon State. But this is this is a team especially with Caleb Williams and even if the defense just improves a hair then you got to think that they have a chance to win any game against anybody. The one thing, one big caveat I'll point out. They were plus 22 in turnovers last mm. year, plus 22 For the previous five years, in fact, two times in that span, they'd been minus 10. Now turnovers, you can work on them, but some of it is luck, particularly if you recover a high number of fumbles. SC got a bunch of interceptions in that case, uh, in that case last year. They're not going to be plus 22 again. Uh, so there will be even more pressure on the offense to produce unless that defense is able to get more stops and it was able to get a year ago.
1: Plus 22 is like playing roulette and hitting red and black like 36 straight right. times. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. mean, it's just... And again, that's no knock on anybody. It's just that it's there's there's a luck aspect to turnover. Some really smart people have probably written analytic papers about it. But plus twenty two is plus twenty two with a bad defense too. Let's be honest, right? right? Like, yeah. I mean, it's just, that it's was a, the only thing the defense
0: uh, did well. You do have to give them correct. credit for yeah. that. They did get it, the ball back. Yeah.
1: Some of those like opposite air raid, opposite tempo defenses try to be like opportunistic and turnover driven. Because they just can't line up and stop you, so that that may have been some just sort of what the scheme was aiming for and hoping for. Uh, my case for optimism on on USC starts with Kalen Bullock, the, the the safety, who I think could end up being a top fifty pick in the NFL draft, like. He's a, he's a real real guy. I remember, Eric Gentry, their, their middle linebacker, yep. uh, got hurt last year. He's a really like one of the most unique body types. Skinny, he's a college. skinny
0: middle linebacker.
1: <laughs> yeah, but he's like 6'7. He looks like an ACC wing. Like it's just, but he's a, a talented guy who's starting to fill in and grow up a little bit. Um, and I really think the biggest addition is going to be Mason Cobb at linebacker, he's a professional tackler and for a unit that really struggled to tackle that makes a big difference. Um I hope Bear Alexander gets to tackle Money Parks at some point when they play cuz that would be a lot of fun. But like Bear, the guys like Bear Alexander, Anthony Lucas are guys like they like they just need bigger, stronger, faster bodies. And their front 7 is almost completely different compared to uh c- compared to last season. So I am uh yeah. I am, I'm fairly, I'm fairly USC bullish, right? I'm, I'm about to like do my Dick Vitale and pick all overs for win totals again. So I need to be, I need to be a little bit, a little bit careful about that, but I do really feel like there's, you know, there's, there's, there's a great case for them. I mean, they're two one score games away from making the playoff essentially. Right. Mm-hmm. So I do feel like there's a, uh, there's a really good case that they could, you know, they could make a, they could make a push here. Um, Another guy to watch. Lincoln Riley told me this uh, this spring. Braylon Shelby, who's like a 6'4 edge, they really feel like he's like the kind of true freshman who's come in and really been a little bit above his star rating and could really contribute uh, defensively right away. Like they've had plenty of blue chippers on offense, but they haven't had guys like him, uh, a ton of guys like him, come in and make an impact. So I'm, I am very, uh, I am very bullish. I've, I've been driving the Caleb Williams bus since he was in high school. Um, you know, an outstanding kid uh i think you know the most obvious quarterback talent for me you know since andrew luck probably for my time covering it i don't uh, i don't i don't see uh a ton there I, i'm just i'm excited about what usc and caleb williams can become the schedule it, it all kind of fits and falls um we did not go to uh usc last year reese i would think that uh that perhaps changes this year, maybe on uh, maybe on October 21st against uh, against the old Utah Utes,
0: or November 4th against the Huskies, which mm, yes, which could also be a candidate for that. You know, you mentioned guys; they would also love if uh, if Corey Foreman, who is a really highly recruited guy, just yeah. suddenly burst on the scene, blossomed in, and and um, and was able to reach his uh, his vast potential. The win total is maybe a little surprising for an 11 win team with the returning heisman trophy winner and all of that firepower um maybe vegas is concerned about the turnover numbers from last year and the turnover in the defensive roster but you know that's just how they're doing business right now to get things started it's only it's only nine and a half i assume you're going over that yeah, I just think you have to, right?
1: Like I do. Yeah. Again I just don't think like you can go win at Notre Dame this year. This isn't an elite Notre Dame team. They haven't proven to be anyway, other than offensive line. Um and they have an intriguing quarterback. I, I just don't know if they have the skill to score with SC. So I uh yeah, I just feel like the defense has gotta be thirty percent better, which puts them in in position. So Yeah, someone, someone in Vegas is smarter than us because these are, these are low uh, over under totals. And now I'm just going to pick against everybody going forward, even if I don't have any conviction because I don't want to, I just don't want to assume everyone's going undefeated here.
0: I, I went through and went win, loss, win, loss, and then also marked the games, you know, loss, win or WL, the question games, meaning that if I suspected they'd probably win, but maybe could be in a little trouble, or if I suspected that was a place where they might be ripe for an upset. So if you're not going, uh, you say you're going to go under, I'm, I'm going to challenge you on this one, the Washington Huskies. I'm not going to tell you what the number mm. is yet, and as you already see it, my guess is you're going to want to go over here again, too, Michael Penix at quarterback threw for over forty six hundred yards, uh, thirty one touchdowns, uh, only eight interceptions. Led the nation in passing yards per game. You know he had his best years at uh, you know at Indiana, uh, or at least he started his career at Indiana. When Kalen DeBoer, the head coach, is in his second year, was the OC there. Um, they've got you know they've got guys coming back off of injury. They've got Romo Dunze at wide receiver. Uh, Jalen Polk, who's a big play guy. Jalen McMillan, who's also a good punt returner. But, but, the offensive line is a significant question. I'm not going to say problem. You don't know if it's a problem yet. But only one full-time starter returning. They're in the bottom 10 or 11 in the country In terms of returning starts and a lot of different ways to calculate returning starts and that can be a little fuzzy math sometimes because maybe your transfer guy had to start and you you know you can count some of those or you know maybe guys were starters and and they were injured so they didn't pile up the numbers but at least by general calculation you're talking in the neighborhood of 35 to 40 max career starts on that offensive line. That's a really low number for some context. We raved about Florida State not long ago, having over 200 when you add all of their guys together. So protecting Penix, who's had his injury problems in the past, in order to be able to unleash all of those offensive weapons, that's certainly the strong suit of this Husky team. So what's the over-under? I didn't look at the
1: email, so.
0: No, don't look. You don't have to look. The, the over-under yeah, is no, a No, I want to be surprised. A, it's a flat nine. A flat nine, huh? Yeah.
1: Well, since I'm bullish on Oregon State and I'm bullish on USC and I'm bullish on Utah,
0: I'm going to take the under, Reese going like, cause they, is it because of the offensive line or is it because of the defense what is what's the So I really like Michael Penix. let me start
1: there. Yeah. Uh I always have an affinity for quarterbacks especially I think they're like Dak at Mississippi State who like lift programs uh, way above their means, right? So when he got to Washington again Washington's a winning program generally. Mm-hmm. But when he got to Washington it was pretty dismal in the in the wake of the Jimmy Lake era, right? Mm-hmm. So he was able to Really yank them with his leadership, and obviously he led Indiana to uh, back in 2020. Again, he's had he- injury issues, but when he's been healthy, I don't know a lot of college quarterbacks that have like taken teams from the depths and pulled them up at two different spots in, in Power Five schools like he has. So, a lot of credit to Penix. He's 24, I believe. He's a leader. He's strong. He's stout. I don't like the line. I think the defense is good. Um I don't yeah, but I don't think it's a, a dominating marauding unit. And I do think people overlooked them a little bit last year. You know, mm-hmm. like they, mm-hmm. they were they had been so bad um, two years ago that I, I think they were able to sort of come with a with a jolt. Now look, I've a lot of respect for Calen Bohr, man. That guy's won everywhere. He's won in the nooks and crannies of South Dakota, like he's won in the NIA, like he's a he's a really good uh he's a really good football coach. But when you have a league that this top heavy it wouldn't surprise me if they lost three games. So I am going to, uh, I'm going to take the under, and uh, yeah. But I do, I do think protecting Penix, especially considering his injury history, is is something that they will have to put a lot of focus on, and that could handicap the offense a little bit.
0: They they also have some of their defensive guys that are either. Coming back from injuries last year or in previous years have slowed their development, but they've been productive in the past. A linebacker, a ZTF, Zion, Tupelo, uh, Fatui, uh, only had four and a half sacks last year, but he has, a, he's had Achilles problems. He had concussion problems earlier in his career. Uh, he was a second team All American back in uh, 2020 and that really significantly abbreviated season for Washington. But, you know, if he's at full health, um, Edwin Ulufocio uh, came back mid-season last year from a knee injury. Maybe he's you know full speed the whole year, and then Braylon Trice was a really good pass rusher for them last year. Yeah. I am um, I'm really really worried about the offensive line. I'm not going to lie about that. But as I as I look at this, I it, it's tough because here are here are the the three games that put you at three at Oregon State at USC and they and certainly have got Oregon at home, but then that trip to Arizona can as you know jumps out as one of those that you kinda you kinda stumble and lose one. Boy, I mean I, I think nine's I think nine's the number. I'm uh I'm gonna I'm gonna believe in the development a little bit and I'm I'm going to take. I'd like to take the push, but we don't allow that here. I'm going to take the over, though. I'm, I'm going to take the over on Washington, thinking they win nine or ten. Um, I don't. I don't think they'll. I don't think they'll fall below that. Similar team in uh, in the Pac-12 used to be division rivals, but no longer is Oregon. There's obviously been some change at Oregon. New offensive coordinator because, well, it's another college football season and it just wouldn't be a college football season if Bo didn't have to learn to play uh, under a new offensive coordinator. Will Stein taking over um, for Kenny Dillingham who took the head coaching job at Arizona State. Dan Lanning in his second year. They won 10 last year. Uh, they, They spit up the Oregon State game late that left a little bit of a sour taste in their mouth and then pulled out the bowl game against North Carolina at the end. They've got a lot of returning uh, guys. The offensive line may be not as experienced, but they did add several veteran guys from uh, from the transfer portal. They, you know, they've got defensive backs from Ole Miss and Alabama, uh, certainly reaching into Lanning's history as an assistant coach and a staff member in the SEC to try to Uh, bulk up that defense. Brandon Dorless is is back. They've got Jordan Birch from South Carolina, transferred to rush the passer. Um, They've got Evan Williams, who was all Mountain West at Fresno State at safety to help that secondary as well. They've got Bucky Irving back as a running back. They've got some wide receivers for Bo Nix, and they've got Bo Nix, who ran for 14 touchdowns. That was the most of any quarterback in the country last year and one short of Marcus Mariota's single-season record at Oregon. Completed 72%. He didn't turn the ball over. And they were best in the Pac-12 last year in terms of outgaining their opponents on a per-game basis. They were plus 136 yards per game in Pac-12 play, but didn't get a lot of pressure on the quarterback, and you wonder if Jordan Birch is the, you know, is the answer to that. He was a former five-star guy, good player. Don't know that he's been a necessarily dominant player for the Gamecocks. They'd like to see if they can unlock that there with the Ducks. So I've listed some good things, a couple of bad things about Oregon or at least question marks. Where do you see Oregon good and bad?
1: So obviously, you know, you're, you're sort of, Hallmark skill positions, there's a lot of checks, right? Bo Nix, check. Bucky Irving, check. Troy Franklin, check. Uh One player that you did not mention that there is some really good buzz on in NFL circles is their left tackle, who's just a sophomore, Josh Connerly Jr. Uh, I've been told that he's like... For two drafts from now, as you know, scouts, agents, etc., people are starting to like narrow in. I've been told that he's a guy that's a that's a real that's a real prospect. Uh, he and Kelvin Banks, the Texas left tackle, are again. I'm not going to say they're the two best true sophomores because there could be guys who redshirted who we don't know about. Like that's sort of the the big reveal in September. But those are two of the buzziest guys if not the two buzziest guys. So again, this is the new reality of Oregon. You get a five star. He was their jumbo kind of extra guy last year. I think he even caught a touchdown pass. So that's a, that's an important anchor uh, for Dan Lanning for the next two years, Reese, that they can put, put him there and establish themselves in the, uh, in, in the run game in that way. Uh, after him, there's a little inexperience on that O-line. I think that that would be a, that would be a concern of a concern of mine. There's going to be a little inexperience in the play caller, Will Stein, who uh, was at UTSA and did an unbelievable job. Um, before he was at UTSA, he was a position coach there. Um, he was a high school coach in Texas. He was Hudson Card's offensive coordinator. Oh, I get these mixed up. I think he was at Lake Travis. Um, but it could have been – what's the other one? big one in Austin? West um, Westlake. It was at Westlake. Um, I went there and did a story, and you'd think I'd remember. Um, but there's a lot of stories in a lot of places. So I apologize for that. But Will Stein is a sharp young guy. He was a walk on quarterback at Louisville. He was a GA, kind of QC in Herman's time at Texas. Um, but big stage for him, uh, especially with the defensive head coach. Uh, they have a very good staff there with, with Junior Adams and with Drew Marringer and some other veteran guys. But that's, you know, that is a concern. They lost their O line coach. To the Patriots, uh, Adrian Clem last year. So you know that that is something to uh, that is certainly something to watch. And look, they were bad on defense last year. Mm-hmm. There's really no other way to say it. Um, the notion in the spring was that Lanning would get more involved himself. Now that he sort of has the head coaching thing a little bit more experience with it. So it, it, and they did have a decent amount of staff turnover. So it'd be interesting, uh, Reece sort of rolling uh, rolling forward here you know, how, how some of that shakes out. There's a good, there, they're, they are very talented, but there's also a good amount of unknowns
0: too. The over under line or the win total line, I should say is nine and a half. I'm going under with Oregon and I'm not trying to apologize for it or explain it away. I do like them, but there are too many, there are too many potential empty elevator shafts along the way when you combine that part of the schedule, I'm not a huge schedule guy in terms of like, you know, they've got an easy schedule. They're going to win or lose um, simply because if you're not good enough, you can have an easy schedule and a loss will find you. But in this case, I think Oregon's good. They have some questions that could uh, pop up at inopportune times. Most notably, the second game of the season, they go to Lubbock to take on Texas tough Tech, that's a really tough game there's a potential l they have to go to seattle against washington they're at utah they've got sc it's at home but it's sc and they've got oregon state and we've already said we think they're good so the number's nine and a half i think that's a little high for the win total i think they'll be good um but i i'm taking i'm going to take the under nine and a half for oregon I'm going to take the under there
1: too. I think we'll learn a lot about them from that night in Lubbock. Uh, that's one of those like that's going to be the biggest night in Lubbock since Texas played for the basketball national championship four or five years ago, right? Like, I mean, that's just one of those. That's one of those mark it on your calendar, big time, big time moments for that school and that program to flex. So, um, and a former Duck quarterback uh, under center for the Red Raiders.
0: I was just about to say the Tyler Shuck Bowl, and I'm sure that. Uh, he, we hope that he's healthy as well and a really sure. really fine uh young offensive coordinator at Texas Tech and, and Zach Kittley there too so that could that could be a rather entertaining entertaining game yeah. for us I think as as we dive into these as as the season uh opens so we'll see we'll see how the old Red Raiders fare against the ducks We're gonna go rapid fire at some point here to hit some of these other teams, but I maybe a little bit more just because they're on their way to the Big Ten because they're a big brand name. Uh, as uh, as my buddy Jim Herrick used to say, UCLA, pally. Um, Chip Kelly in his sixth year there now. Good season last year with nine that's wins. But six that, years, huh? yeah, isn't that Man, crazy? That's it that's is. nuts. Uh, Don't know what they're doing at quarterback DTR. I think DTR followed Mark Harmon as the Bruins starting quarterback. Been there for quite (laughs) some time. And now they're probably either turning it over to a freshman, speaking of buzz in, uh, in the offseason, mm. Dante Moore, who turned 18 during spring practice. They also <laughs> have a transfer from Kent State and Colin Schley. Uh, they hit the Mac pretty good. They've got a running back transfer from Ball State and Carson Steele. They've got a transfer from Army at running back. Uh, they've got a transfer from USC at wide receiver in Kyle Ford. But maybe I don't know if he's going to make our all name team in the early in the early part of the season. But they've got a wide receiver transfer from Cal named Jay Michael Sturtevant, which reminds me of the uh of the great poem, uh the love song of Jay Alfred Proofrock. Are you familiar with that fine piece of uh, literature, Pete? I am not, but
1: I think Jay Michael Sturtevant could be a first round pick this year. He is he is a guy who got uh, overlooked a little bit because he was at Cal and wasn't highlighted that he could he could be a guy who like streaks out against coastal opening weekend and really becomes a buzzy a buzzy guy in our sport in an emerging name. So if you want to talk about the poem, that's fine. But I, I'm here for the I'm here for the uh, does, <laughs> for the inane knowledge. So I'm gonna deliver it.
0: Does uh, does J. Michael Sturdivant dare wear white trousers rolled to the knee? Does he dare eat a peach? In the room, the women come and go. Speaking of Michelangelo, anyway, two returning starters on the offensive line. We add in all the transfers that Chip has brought in, they, and they've got you know well over 120 career starts in college football. Uh, Lieto Latu had ten and a half sacks, so they've got they've got a big time pass rusher there. Um, scoring defense still wasn't great; they gave up more than 38 times um, last year. And they've, you know, they've probably, with the notable exception of Moore, they've probably been a little more active in the portal than on the recruiting circuit. And you're sitting there with an eight and a half win total for UCLA. trips to Utah, trip to USC, trip to Corvallis, the Arizona game that I mentioned. Somebody they're going to get somebody, and they also go, you know, they also go to San Diego State early. So you don't know you don't know what you're getting there. They have Washington State at home, eight and a half. Uh, tell me what you think about UCLA, and then think about that eight and a half number a little bit. So I'm
1: very concerned about Carson Steele, the transfer from Ball State, and his pet alligator, because he has a pet alligator. And I don't, you know, can you have one in Westwood? Can you have one in the dorms? Well, Josh really
0: Rosen had a hot tub. tub. Surely they can he let you work a little, uh, he little
1: alligator in he here. Did Can I tell a quick Josh Rosen story? Oh, I wish you would. <laughs> So when I was working at Sports Illustrated, I went and did a profile of him. He was like the cover story going into his junior year, maybe. Anyway, great kid. Delightful interview. Not a bad thing to say about Josh Rosen. He was like everything you'd want in a college kid to profile. He was smart. He was funny. He was completely unself-aware, so he said ridiculous things. Um, but he was great. He was he was a very amicable host while I trailed him around campus for the day and went to class with him. And uh, so he lived in a... You know, a park, college apartment with like beer bottles all on the wall and like, you know, Nerf poops and all, you know, all the stuff college kids have in their apartment or whatever. And so we're, we're standing in his, in his living room and he just looks at me and he goes, Bro, is this like the frattiest apartment you've ever been in? <laughs> i just <laughs> like froze. So I was like, I don't know how to answer that, Josh. <laughs> so <laughs> now, as these many years have gone by, and uh, you know, like like the things that, like you know, I probably worked two months on that story and talked to thirty people or whatever, but that gets distilled into like one fortune cookie memory, and it's just the look of Josh Rose and being like, "Bro, is this the frattiest room you've ever <laughs> <been?"> <laughs> <sighs> They were all so, so paranoid. Uh, Mora was the coach, and their PR guys skip and josh Ruprecht. like what do he say what do he say what would he say <laughs> <laughs> but all all respect enjoyed i enjoyed josh i wish josh Rosen was success um, he was uh, he was he was a great kid that said i'm going to take the under on uh, on these on these current rosenless uh, bruins you know their non-cons just really got gummed up with, with that Michigan game getting canceled. So I think that over under is a little high because you know you're assuming three wins to go. But mm-hmm. um, I'll be really curious. I would guess Garber starts the year for them. Um, Schley hasn't been that accurate from what I've from what I've heard. And uh, when Chip pulls the trigger and goes with Dante Moore, that I think is like the big question hovering over the Bruins. As they, uh, you know, as they face the uh, the opening part of the season, so a very interesting, very interesting season. God bless Chip; he's never boring, and uh, I just don't know if they quite
0: have nine win firepower there. I agree with the under, and I also know he's not afraid to go to Dante Moore, whatever he wants to, because it seemed like that politically there wasn't a good way to go to Marcus Mariota. Back in the day, remember when he first gave him the job, and it was like, no, he's better. He's playing. So if Moore's better, he'll play. But probably some wisdom in letting the veteran get things get things going early on. Whether you know, I, you know, whether it's Schley or whether it's Garbers, who's played some for them. So I'll take the under on UCLA too, largely because of. Uh, Because of the schedule and because of some of the uncertainty and and some of the newcomers up front. And they're going to, you know, they're going to have some growing pains at quarterback, almost certainly. Let's go to, let's go to Washington State. Sure. One, One of the forgotten teams or the left behind teams. Um, Got a handful of starters on both sides of the ball coming back, going to go a little bit more rapid fire on them. Cameron Ward, their quarterback, came in with a a lot of expectation last year. Took him a little while to get going, uh, just to be candid about it. But, um, you know, they've got a guy in the secondary, Jaden Hicks, who led all Pac-12 freshmen tackles last year. Uh, they've got, you know, once again, change on the coaching staff, they've, um, two new coordinators. They've got the, I think the youngest power five coordinator on offense and Ben Arbuckle who had been at Western Kentucky. They made big plays at Western Kentucky all the time. Maybe you'll see more downfield throws from Cameron Ward. Give me a quick synopsis, a uh, good and bad on the Cougs. So I, uh, I, I like, I like the
1: Cougs here, um, you know i think they they developed an identity under Jake Dickert early on in his tenure and i think we could see some growth from Cam Ward who did kind of have some struggles i'm really curious about Arbuckle cuz Western Kentucky you know has just been this sort of anomalous blitzkrieg offense the last couple of years and Arbuckle i believe is 27 that's right um yes. which means which means i have t-shirts older than him so um you know it just to go into uh to go into a staff and and sort of try to continue and bring his scheme. It's an interesting, uh, an interesting moment. I uh yeah, I, I wonder just if the Wisconsin, you know, you start at Colorado State, which is scary because they're not going to be as bad. Um, and then you have Wisconsin at home. So, you know, which will be an event. I know they're gonna do groundbreaking for a new uh for a new practice facility there. Um it, it'll be interesting to see. If they could if they could beat Wisconsin again, which I don't think they will, can you know, can they really ride that and go at that point on their home northern Colorado home there? So but I just have concerns that they could, you know, new Wisconsin under Luke Fickle, a master of competency, can could maybe jam it to them a little bit and all of a sudden you could see them as far. What's their over under Reese? Uh they're over under six and a half. Six and a
0: half. Huh? I'm gonna take the under Reese. I'm going under on them too, Pete. I went through their schedule, as I said, marked out wins and losses. Have them at seven and five. So you say, well, why are you taking the under? Because at some point, I think I don't think they're so good that they're going to do everything expected every time. And I figure mm-hmm. if they are more likely to have a couple of more unexpected losses than unexpected wins. I think six and six is probably about right. Uh, so since they gave me the hook, I'll take it. And um, I'll take under washington state at um at six and a half let's stay with uh, another team and i uh, there's two more now that are going to be left out the sturdy golden bears of cal and i think this could be a dire situation for them though there are a number of guys who've started quite a bit um, they don't have any experience to speak of at quarterback, it appears that Sam Jackson, the fifth, perhaps TCU transfers, the guy at least in uh, preseason. And, and to be candid, I haven't heard since practice has started, but that was the guy that, uh, you know, maybe uh, was the most talented one. They did get a, an offensive lineman, Matthew Wyckoff, who started a bunch of Texas AM that could certainly help them a little bit. A defensive coordinator's son, uh, Jackson Sermon, the, the son of uh, Peter Sermon is a great linebacker, had over 100 tackles last year. They'll play good defense. They also got a couple of transfers from Florida and Clemson that, and Florida State, for that matter, on the defensive side. They'll play good defense. I just don't know if they'll score, Pete. That's sort of been the thing with them for a while. They open at North Texas, then they play Auburn. Road games at Washington, road game at Utah, road game at Oregon, road game at UCLA, and they get SC. So. That um that win total for the sturdy golden bears is five. Um, synopsis and over under on that. Synopsis
1: is um you know Jake Spavital obviously has had success at different places on offense. He comes in there as the first year's coordinator, and the thought is they, they you know they need an adrenaline shot. Um you know losing Sturdivant is not going to help them for skill-wise. I just don't see where the skill comes from. I don't see where the points come from. So, uh, you know, Jaden Ott is, uh, you know, a guy who's a solid player for them and a good Pac-12 level player. But I just think when you go through, I just wonder, like, boy, these, you know, Cal and Sanford are so down, Reese. Are they just on the precipice of just like falling completely off the map, right? Like, if you're, if you're at one of those programs with all this ambiguity over the conference stuff, it'll be figured out in the next few weeks. Like, are you entering this season checked out about where you go next? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I just really worry. Those are proud programs. Like, Aaron Rodgers went to Cal. Marshawn Lynch went to Cal. You know, Jared Goff went to Cal. Like, they, you know, these are just really, really strong programs. I mean, Sonny Dykes was the coach there and he couldn't figure it out. So it's like, and he's a really good coach. That's not Sonny Dykes' fault. That's Cal's fault. So I really think, like, man, uh, I don't think they're going to be very good. I don't think they're going to win five games. And I am not optimistic about paths to relevancy in the future.
0: Agreed. Under dire times uh, for Cal. And if you think it's bad at Cal, have a look at the farm. Stanford coming off a three and nine season, one and eight in Pac-12 play. Uh, beat Arizona State by one point. Somehow they beat Notre Dame last year, which is a miracle of miracles. David Shaw, an unbelievable run at Stanford, uh, decided his his time had come. Certainly not shoved out the door. Uh, you know he he decided it was time for a change. So in comes Troy Taylor. Uh, who has said the right things if their intention is to play power five football. He did a tremendous job in his three years at Sacramento state. He is a Cal grad and a former bear quarterback, but they've got hardly any returning starters. Um, I guess the tight end Benjamin Yurasek would probably be an EJ Smith. Emmitt Smith's son would be the two guys that you would look at as, uh, as their best players on offense. They were minus 10 in turnovers last year, minus 20 the last two years. Their two wins against FBS opponents came when they scored 16 and 15 points. If you think Cal is going to be bad, and I hope I'm wrong about this. I don't wish ill on any team, but if you think Cal's going to be bad, I think Stanford's going to be worse.
1: Yeah, I mean, just. You think about in the last twenty years the great moments that those two programs have had. I think about all the trips I took to Stanford when they had Andrew Luck, but they had David DeCastro. Uh, they they just had you know really talented players on both sides of the ball. Um, the D line was the number two pick in the draft. They were just they were loaded, man. They were rocking and rolling. They were a high end national championship caliber team. So it is it is sad that it got this far. It's stunning that it, that it got this far, and it's scary that it may, you know, continue to spiral here. Um cuz they're, you know, between Jim Harbaugh and then David Shaw, they both did unbelievable work to 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 build it to where it was. I think about Shane Scove, remember him? He was like mm-hmm. a great linebacker there. Yeah. It was just, you know, like they they had an edge, they had an identity. They were Maulers, they were nasty. Um Yeah, I think Yurasek is the one guy like the NFL is like particularly interested in there. I just like you look at Michigan and they could start two Stanford transfers on their offensive line. Mm -hmm. That's just not right. It's sad. You know, like leaving Stanford is not something that should ever happen. Right. Like you've been to Stanford. I've been to Stanford. You know, there could be matters of personal preference and such, but generally the you know, a place where the average graduation salary is like over $200,000, like you should probably stick around. So again, we're not going to, do dedicate this podcast to an autopsy, but I am hopeful Troy Taylor can put an adrenaline shot in. I'm hopefully they can find some footing and a new identity to recruit to. It's one of our great American institutions. Um, both of them are great American institutions, but Stanford is a special place and they are not special in football right now. Taking the under, under three. No, I'll take the over. Really? <laughs> wow. I think you could beat Hawaii, and you could beat Sacramento State, and you can win two league games instead of one.
0: Yeah, I don't see it. They don't okay. have a quarterback that's thrown 10 college passes and they return a grand total of 15 FBS starts on the offensive line. You know, if I'm, if when you look, you can be proven wrong, happy to be proven wrong. Just because a guy hasn't played doesn't mean he's not good, but I think it's more times than not a pretty good predictor of how well you're going to do should beat Sacramento state and uh, Troy Taylor's uh, matchup against his former team. So yeah. Hawaii, yes, they could, but I don't see anyone else they could beat. So I'm, I'm, and I think they could right. lose. They could lose to Hawaii. They could go They're three and nine last year. They could go one and 11. Um, yeah. I, I'm going to, I'm taking the under the, on Stanford.
1: Yeah, they're bad, but I just give, you know, new coaches can, that place needed an adrenaline jewel, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe more than any program in the country. Uh, I feel like Taylor's giving him that. I feel like the offense will have a little more juice, but I'm yeah, I'm not sitting here. Come on, Tiger
0: Bachmeyer hauling in passes from who? <laughs> I mean, man, I hope Sorry, I hope I'm too. wrong. I hope somebody yeah, I hope somebody I comes yeah. on and carries on the long Stanford quarterback legacy of Jim Plunkett and Guy Benjamin and uh, Turk Schonert and John Elway and Andrew Luck and Kevin Hogan. But you know they don't have that guy right now, so yeah. so we'll see. Who did I leave out? Who's the most prominent Stanford? How does Stanford not have a quarterback? By the way, that's like true. just incredible. It's yeah. it just hasn't happened. Post history. But, well, while we're yeah. um, people trying to lift themselves from the depths and sort of moving now to the portion of the Pac-12 teams who will be headed to the Big 12 after this year, I said Stanford could go one and 11. Colorado did that last year, one and 11, one and eight. Uh, only win came against Cal in overtime last year. Deion Sanders in his first year, anything uh, remotely similar to last year's gone. Uh, players are gone. Coaching staff's gone. Complete makeover for this. Shadur Sanders, Deion's son who threw 70 touchdown passes for Jackson state at the FCS level. Travis Hunter who was a big time recruit, went to Jackson state, could have gone to Florida state or pretty much anywhere else is now at Cal. Uh, Al, Alton McCaskill from Houston, Cavasier Smoke from Kentucky, and uh, the running back. They've got all kinds of transfers on defense. If you name them all, you know, basically guys have come from big programs and have come to play for Deion Sanders. We said on a podcast earlier this year, at what point would the Colorado State or Colorado story, I should say, not be relevant from an on-the-field perspective in terms of one wins and losses? I think it's over by the end of September. That said, um, their win total is also three. What do you think of of what Dion's done? Uh, saw Urban Meyer had been out at practice, I guess, not long ago. Said it looked like a talented team. I think that's pretty obvious. They've got a they've got a ton of guys who were recruited to play at Alabama and Arkansas and Clemson and Florida State, and uh, you know, so they've got athletes. Uh, uh, upgrade an athlete there now, but there's this huge transition. What do you think about Colorado?
1: It's you know they they are the uh, we joked earlier the Colorado Kardashians right they're famous for being famous right now um, look you go through those names like all McCaskey a really good back um, you think about Cavassier Smoke he was a talented SEC player um, obviously Hunter was the number one receiver in the in the country right so like they they, they have or uh, I guess number one DB in the country who plays receiver but like they have talented guys I, I think it's. Uh, it's going to be the modern test case for can you bring that many new guys together and make it work. Um, and I am uh, I am not optimistic about this season for them. In part because of schedule, in part because of Dion hasn't been around a lot. Like his, you know, he's had health issues. Like in part because I'm not sure how they're going to be molded as a team. Their scheme is really interesting, especially at altitude. It's a difficult scheme. You can't date Sean Lewis's tempo scheme. You have to marry it. <laughs> and if you marry it, you you could have some rocky days. And so I just feel like there's a lot of transition potential issues here. And But I think the single thing about Colorado that I'm most curious about this year is how Deion Sanders handles adversity. He has not had a lot of adversity as a head coach. He has handled some modest adversity very poorly. At times, like being called coach, like different things like that. Like if they start one and four, which is a very realistic possibility, if his son struggles against superior competition compared to Jackson State, which is a very realistic possibility, how will Dion handle that? And I don't know the answer. And I think that will define year one for me. So with three sitting there, I can't take the under, right? They they, they have have middle of the road, Pac-12 talent. They're probably going to win a few games. Um, but yeah, I would probably, I probably think they'll win, they'll win four, which in the big picture of building that thing back is progress. Will it be viewed as progress and will the players and coaching staff act as if it's progress is the question.
0: Mm -hmm. They're going to clip somebody and, you know, they were, but they're, and they're going to, just by the talent upgrade, they're going to look better losing than they did last year when they, you know, pretty much got pummeled most every week the schedule is just brutal for them at TCU um, Nebraska which certainly hasn't been wildly successful and they're in a new coach situation too but you know that's you know that's a tough non-conference game it's not like you're gonna be guaranteed to get one under your belt there Colorado State you mentioned them earlier maybe a little bit better I I there's part of you, and and I think you're just being, or I'm being caught up in the, you know, the fact that I believe Dion's Dion did a really good job at Jackson really State, and has done a great job getting talent in, but I feel like I'm getting caught up in that more so than the reality of what you talk about. I'm taking the under because I don't think okay. you know outside of, um, you know, Stanford. I guess I, I don't see Cal on the schedule outside of Stanford and maybe Arizona State, which happens to be on the road. I don't see anybody that I feel certain they're going to beat, you know? So, uh, so I'm going to go, I'm going to go under. And I do think it was a good hire and will be successful long-term. But some of the things you mentioned might be a, a real factor with the physical um, difficulties that, uh, that Deion Sanders has had to endure during this off too. So I think that's part of it. I'll go under. Um, on on Colorado, but acknowledging that certainly they, they could clip somebody completely unexpected, especially late in the season and, and maybe you know maybe get to four. What about Kenny Dillingham's first year at Arizona State? Drew Pine, the Notre Dame transfer uh, in there for quarterback. They also got Jacob Conover, who at one time was a pretty highly thought of guy at BYU transfer. They got a running back from Sacramento State. Uh, Cameron Scatabo I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly. He was a Big Sky Offensive Player of the Year last year. They added some guys in the portal, so they have guys who played up front. Um, they were active in the portal on defense, too. Got the well-traveled Jawan Mitchell from Tennessee uh, to come in. They are replacing their top four tacklers. Defense was not good last year. They added 32 Division I transfers, so as much talk as there's been about Uh, Colorado Arizona State's added a bunch of them as well we look at this win total for uh, the Sun Devil win total is five and they've got non-conference games at least non-conference for now against Oklahoma State and Fresno State so you look at the schedule and USC they have them at home they're at Washington and they get Oregon at home Late in the season, and a lot of the teams from the Pacific Northwest historically have gone into the state of Arizona and um, had had to wear a loss home. So you know they're at Utah as well. Number is five. What do you think about Dillingham's first team and that total?
1: Yeah, I have a little quiet optimism about this team. Uh, Drew Pine is a professional collegiate quarterback, right? He's a you know a no mistake guy who can help you navigate through some growing pains and through some, what we're really going to start seeing Reese, is like coalescing pains, right? Like these teams with all these guys from disparate places coming together and it's going to take a game or two. You talk about some of these lines with the uh, experienced guys that just haven't played together. So I, I think that pine is sort of the right, um, the right old hand to, to navigate them through that. Uh, when I think about Arizona State, I really think Jalen Conyers, the the tight end, is one of the most underrated players in the country. I feel like he'll have a you know, he's the perfect Drew Pine target. Uh Drew Pine threw approximately seven thousand passes to uh Michael he, Mayer. Michael Mayer, sorry, Michael Mayer. God my mind scrambled today. I'm forgetting like key it's, players. It, it's from that last year. Uh, it's
0: that uh Springsteen concert last night.
1: It's a Springsteen concert, but it's really like, yeah, tracking down like the Fresno State Board of Directors the last two weeks. <laughs> it muddled my already fragile brain. Um, so, yeah, I'm, you know, the one thing about Arizona State that's kind of interesting is when you go around the country, how many frontline players were there, right? Mm-hmm. Florida's best receiver was at Arizona State. Florida State's probably best receiver at Arizona It's just like weird. Now again, Herman Antonio Pierce. Obviously, the NCAA is going to litigate that fairly soon. I think actually what, what happened, but like they actually did find the talent, and there is some of that, although not a lot of it. Not a lot of it left over. So I uh, yeah I, I I think the schedule is favorable. That Oklahoma State game is one of those like sneaky interesting games that you and I will, like would geek out over, mm-hmm. right? I'm sure it's going to be on uh, September 9th. Um, you know when I've when I found my way out of Tuscaloosa, um, to, we assume, right? but we don't know. Um, to, 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 like that's, yeah, that's a, yeah. Um, so I just think, yeah, I will, uh, yeah, little, little bold and take the over here. I feel like I took a few unders. I can buy this one. I think they could, I think they could cobble the six. Great hire by him and hired Bull Baldwin, by the way, who won a national championship in FBS. Like that's a guy who is going to allow Kenny Dillingham to do the things as a head coach he needs to do. He obviously is a... PAC 12 veteran as an offensive coordinator and he's a uh, national championship winning head coach. Like that's a, that's a hire of a, of a secure young coach who who has to know it isn't now.
0: I have them sitting on a five, which is the number Hmm. I'm. Even though they've got a little more experience on the offensive line, I'm, I'm going to go under there. Uh, Transition. Need need of making big plays. The defense was really, really bad last year. Can they turn it around? New coordinator, new people—that fast. I think five's about the right number. I figure uh, I expect them to go five and seven, Um, but you know, one or the other, I'll take that one. And that brings us to our last team in the Pac-12 of the final Pac-12 preview of the College Game Day podcast career. The Arizona Wildcats, Jed Fish in his third year, lost his best wide receiver to uh to USC with Dorian Singer transfer. Oh, let me rephrase that. His the wide receiver who put up the most yardage. I'll put it that way. Maybe maybe not the best. He has Jacob Cowling. He has McMillan, who is a really highly rated recruit at eight touchdown catches last year. Jaden Delora, the former Washington State transfer who puts the ball in harm's way a little too often for most people's liking, but can make big plays. A lot of guys back on offense, not so much on defense. Did get Justin Flo, who was a five-star recruit for Oregon, but just had all kinds of injury issues while he was a duck but a very talented player. Uh, Daniel Hymoley also a linebacker from Oregon transferred there. So you know they um, you know they've got they've got uh, you know Isaiah Taylor who's uh, the son of NFL Hall of Famer Jason Taylor in the defensive secondary, Gunnar Maldonado. So they've got some guys but not a lot on defense but for some reason I think it's the wide receivers. And, uh, and the fact that I, you know, Delora can drive you crazy and exhilarate you on back to back plays. He's sort of like an old school Bo Nix in that way before, you know, Bo kind of changed that narrative at Oregon last year. I, I sort of, I sort of like the Sun Devils, um, to pull a surprise or two this year. They were five and seven last year and the number sits at a five. They do have a trip to Mississippi State week two. Uh, they have to go to SC and Wazoo back to back weeks, which is really, uh, really tricky, but they get Utah at home and, uh, and they don't have the Ducks on the schedule, though they do have Oregon State, but they have that at home. So the numbers of five. What do you think about, uh, about the Wildcats?
1: I think we'll learn a lot when they go to Starkville. That's another one of those sort of sneaky, interesting games um, when uh, you have Arizona playing, which I, I, it feels like I have no idea what the schedule is, but I feel like that's like that 9 p.m. ESPN2 game, right, that, we, that we get out yeah, of the SEC sometimes. Yeah, it just, seems to be just right. feels right. I have no idea. A lot smarter people than me do the programming. I'm not trying to do it, but that just feels like a game we could be watching at one in the morning. Yeah. Uh, Somewhere. And, and then I say that in the most delightful way possible because there should be football on it all hours when it does play. Um, can, if Will Rod, like their, their defense was just terrible last year, Reese. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was just awful. And they, they went through to try to, uh, you know, overhaul it some. Um, and, and I just think that's do they go bowling and do they hit the over under? I, I think a lot of it depends on that side of the ball. And, Delora being a little bit more consistent, but I'm going to, I'm going to stay skeptical here on the Wildcats and believe it when I see it. And I am going to take the,
0: I'm going to take the over barely. So I'm, I'm going to go over there and think that they're going to wind up six and six, not, not any big breakthrough season or anything like that, but I think they're going to clip some people schedule is, uh, difficult now the one thing i'll say is if they lose to mississippi state and then maybe get you know kind of lose some uh lose some confidence in those back-to-back games at sc and at washington state which both kind of smell like losses um you know then then things could get sideways but they do have a bye before they they play oregon state and ucla and then the rest of the schedule saves the game at home against utah looks uh looks a little less daunting so you know, I, I'm going to take the over and say they barely get over it and go six. All right. I feel like that uh,
1: game at Arizona State to end the year could have like a bull bit on the line. Probably. For either one. Territorial yeah, Cup. Yeah. You can
0: drag yeah. the record books to the Big 12 when the Territorial Cup is in play.
1: You can let the, the school presidents fight in a steel cage match in uh, <laughs> midfield, because that's basically what we had to endure last week through the uh, <laughs> the
0: non-athletic version of it. So... That's that's pretty much it. But well, that's our that's our Pac-12 preview. Last, let's wrap it up this way. Does the Pac-12 get a team in the college football playoff this year?
1: Yes, yes.
0: and it will be USC. I concur. I, I think I concur with with that assessment. I think it'll I think it'll be it won't be undefeated SC, but I I think SC mm-hmm. will. We'll get in the playoff. So that wraps up our Pac-12 preview. And at the moment, at least as we speak, Stanford and Cal are not in the ACC. That does not mean that there isn't news from the ACC. And yet again, some discouraging news from the NCAA as Tez Walker, North Carolina wide receiver, erstwhile Kent State wide receiver, uh, was denied his petition, at least initially, to be able to play Pete. And this just seems to be another Inexplicable decision without real sound reasoning behind it.
1: So, Reese, I spent a lot of time on this uh, this week because it was sort of the the latest in the line of these uh, you know befuddling NCAA decisions. So, I want to before I start my little rant here, I want to be very clear about something. Like, there needs to be rules. There needs to be regulations. Right? Everybody has to follow rules in some way. Like the NFL has rules, the NBA has rules. So, I don't. I'm not the person who thinks every waiver should be passed just because it should, right? Like, there's just, there's no reason for that. I want to be very clear. What I am calling for is clarity to help the NCA avoid embarrassing itself again. If on August 10th, you kneecap a kid's season without him knowing when he transferred in December, and you can't tell him until August 10th, That he can or cannot play. That is negligent and that is the poor running of an organization. So what the NCAA needs to do before the portal opens for football, basketball, whenever it's going to be next winter is figure out a way to say, up front, you will be eligible and you will not be eligible. And this will likely involve the elimination of the waiver process. If you're going to allow one-time transfers and then you are going to allow no other transfers, you have to, when student-athlete X, leave school Y, have them sign something that says, I sign knowing I will be sitting a year. Because what happened was they created this aura of ambiguity where people could game the system, and then they let them game the system with sick aunts and grandmothers, and I'm not saying in any particular case somebody's grandmother wasn't sick, but it just became became a running joke, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. And they basically made themselves easy marks to be conned, and they were conned. And that, then that became institutionalized. So now you have tampering going on and people think, like, oh yeah, you can get a waiver. You can get a waiver. You can get a waiver like it's like buying a, you know, it's like buying a hamburger at McDonald's. It's, it's just you pick one up. And if you're going to have a set of rules and everyone's going to agree to the set of rules, they should be so concise that before the player leaves where he's going, he should know whether or not he's going to play. There should be no surprise the, the, the Tez Walker thing, we can get into the details of it, is pretty complex because he didn't play the COVID year. He has a sick relative, um, and he really only played at one school. So there there's a pretty good case for a waiver there. I hope he gets it because there's some common sense involved. Um, but I really hope he gets it because he should have been told, and the rules changed actually since he left Kent State mm-hmm. too, but mm-hmm. he should have been told the day he went in the portal. You will or will not be eligible. And that's what the NCA, the, the, the waiver process is always, I'm sorry, the, the transfer eligibility process has always been slow and clunky, like everything else at the NCA. So you need to refine and streamline your rules to let people know. So I had basketball coaches calling me saying, well, there's a bunch of guys in our league, so we're going we're gonna to enter a wave of this, right? Mm-hmm. Two-time transfer ends up somewhere else. as you're, As you're not eligible, he's ruled ineligible. Everybody screams. So the clarity can't come on the back end because the NCA is setting itself up. It's self-sabotage. Of course, it's not going to be fair. Of course, there's going to be human interactions. Of course, no one's going to say, oh, well, that's the case. Tough luck, buddy. No, you need to run your organization in a smooth and streamlined way where the information is available up front and not days before the season because we're just going to go through another cycle of this. And it's just, it's just sheer mismanagement. So anyway, that's the end of my rant. But I think there's a very simple solution to what's going to be a very gummy problem for, you know, the season coming up in football and then in basketball, we're going to get another wave of
0: this. I agree with you. And I won't. I don't want to take us down the whole rabbit hole of the Tess Walker situation. But in addition to the circumstance that you mentioned about not playing uh, the COVID year at, at the school that he was going to, North Carolina Central, if memory NC serves, Central. yeah, then he went to Kent State and his coach left. His coach is now the offensive coordinator at Colorado. So there there are a number of levels there. But that's a His that's coach a, left for a worse job. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. It was <laughs> he left for a better job. Yeah. That's a that's <laughs> a great yes. point though. If the rules were out there and it was like every time if your coach leaves, first or second transfer, you can go. You know, if you played here, you didn't. Um all of those things. If there was some clarity, people, you know. We try to make this so complicated and coaches and administrators saying we need structure. You know what the structure is? Make the rule, make it have some sense to it and let the players know before. That's a great, great point that you made. Players know before you go into the portal, there's no waiver. There's no waiver process. Here it is. If you go in the portal, you're eligible. No questions asked. If you go into the portal in this situation, you're going to have to wait a year. And, and also, those rules don't need to be stupidly restrictive either they need to employ employ some common sense and maybe the only waiver process is simply this the coach and the player agree that it's time to go because i've used this example and i'll leave it with this i've used this example many times we always think it's about the players being tampered with when they leave and for for Highly productive players like Tez Walker, that is the case. I'm not tampering necessarily, but players wanting them, them being desired. There are also situations where a coach will call a player in and maybe say something, uh, something like, well, you're never going to play here, but I would never take your scholarship away. But understand something, if the four guys in front of you on the depth chart get hurt, I'm going to bring in a guy from the scout team. I'm going to recruit a guy from the Fiji intramural team, and he's going to play <laughs> before you play. But you can stay. You can stay. So then they can say with a semi-straight face, we never run anybody off here, but they do. And so maybe if there's a mutual agreement, maybe that is the waiver process. You know, that if, if hey, look, okay, I'm fine with him leaving. It's a second time to go. It's not working out here. I'm fine. I want to go. Maybe that's it. But other than that, uh, what what you've had to say is is spot on. Set the rules, you know before you go in. And there, and I even saw I think Mac Brown said that the rule changed or was implemented like a day or two after um Tess had already enrolled in classes. So I'm with you. I hope I hope some common sense prevails. And in this particular case, he's granted the waiver and maybe they will listen to you and and implement these things up front so that players go into the portal and know what's awaiting them on the other side. That's been our Pac-12 preview on the College Game Day Podcast. Thanks for listening, and thanks for downloading the podcast. We encourage you to continue to do it wherever and to watch on YouTube where our glorious faces and Pete's Pete's beat-up face from a night at Springsteen uh, will still shine through with the great smile and the countenance of all things college football. We'll talk to you next time.